Brothers and sisters, the text for the sermon this morning is taken from John chapter 16. In John 16, the verses 12 through 15, we have the Lord Jesus Christ teaching his disciples about the, the gift of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that he's going to give to them. In connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the Bible with you. We're first going to read the, the section just prior to that, John 15, verse 18 to 16, verse 11. We're also going to read a few verses from Ephesians chapter, or sorry, Colossians chapter 2. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to John 15, starting at verse 18. John 15, starting at verse 18, there God's word says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent, who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the world, the ruler of this world, is judged. And then we'll continue reading the text. This is the text. It starts here in verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
And the other passage we're going to read together is taken from Colossians, from Colossians 2, the verses 1 through 15. So read together Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. God's word says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So far, the reading of God's Word. So the text this morning is the passage we just read together from from, uh, John 16, the verses 12 through 15. That's where the Lord Jesus Christ promises the gift of the the Holy Spirit. Then after the proclamation of God's Word, we're going to sing together from hymn 47, the verses 3, 4, and 5. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most foundational teachings of the Bible is that we are people who are involved in spiritual warfare. The devil wants to own you. He is a powerful, malevolent spiritual being, and it is his desire to take into his kingdom as many people as possible. He has thousands of years of practice. He's very skilled at attacking, at tempting, at deceiving, and enslaving people. He literally has billions of people under his authority. Revelation 12 tells us that after Christ ascended into heaven, 
Then Satan lost his place in heaven, and he and his angels, his demons, they've come down to earth to attack the church. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. It is in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 that we're told that he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we're told that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, that if it's you against the devil, then you lose, hands down, every time. When the devil had to go at Job, the Lord took this protective hand off Job, and the Lord allowed the devil to attack Job. It wasn't as if there was some kind of contest between Job and the devil. It was a one day he loses his sheep, his oxen, his camels, his donkeys, all his animals, all his possessions, and his children on top of that. And then the next day, the Lord allows Satan, and this time he loses his health, and his wife turns against him. There is only one way to be protected against the devil's powerful enslavements, temptations, and deceptions, and that is through the working of Christ our Savior. Christ has ascended into heaven, and he has all power and all authority, and he is willing to use that power to protect his people and to bring you into glory. Well, the question becomes, how does he do it? How does he keep us safe? How does he shield us from the attacks of the devil? It is in John 14 to 16 that Christ promised his disciples before he went up into heaven that he would not leave them as orphans. He promised them that he would come to them. He promised to send the spirit of truth into their hearts. And the spirit would take what is Christ and he would declare it to us. It is as the spirit teaches us who Christ is, what Christ has done, and who we are in Christ, that we are protected from the assaults of the spiritual forces of darkness. I preach God's word to you with this theme, Christ sent down his spirit to guide us into all truth. We'll see in the first place the need for the spirit's guidance, and then secondly, the gift of the spirit's guidance. So first, the need. It is in John 13 to 16 that our Lord Jesus Christ said some final words to his disciples at the last Passover. He sat down with them, they had this meal together, and he gave them his final teaching. And one of the thoughts that he expressed to them around that time is that he warned them that the time is coming when they would suffer intensely for the sake of his name. It is in John 15, verse 18, that he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
And so Christ told his disciples, he also tells us as his disciples, he says, don't be surprised if you suffer for the sake of the gospel. And then he worked it out in the next chapter, John 16. He says, or sorry, in the first verse of chapter 16, he says there, they will put you out of their synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And so Christ told his disciples, he tells us today, he says, don't be surprised if you suffer persecution. Don't be surprised if your life is difficult for the sake of Christ. We should understand that the attacks that we face, they're not just of human origin. God's really clear about that. You know, many times these attacks are demonic. It's in Luke 22, verse 31, we're told that a little later in that same meal, that Jesus warned Simon, Simon Peter, about this trial he's about to undergo. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And we have turned again, then strengthen your brothers. Satan demanded to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. We don't know exactly what that means, but if Satan wants you, If he wants to have you, if he wants to own you, if he wants to sift you, that's going to be a really difficult experience. It's only a few hours later that Peter denies knowing our Lord Jesus Christ on three separate occasions. And it's after the last time that he looked at the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus looked at him. And all of a sudden he realized what he had done. And then deep in his heart... He was grieved about how he'd, he denied his Savior. And he went out, and the Scripture says that he wept bitterly. It gives you a little bit of perspective on the attacks that you often face from the devil, brothers and sisters. Oftentimes, there's so much shame. He leads you into sin. And then he fills your heart with shame. You know that you're guilty. And so it's hard to approach the Lord in prayer. You know, that's his whole intention. Revelation Revelation 12, verse 10, he's called the accuser of the brothers. He likes to accuse us before the throne of God. And we actually have a story of that happening. It's back in Zechariah 3. You have the high priest who's standing before the throne. And Zechariah, he has this vision, and he sees it happening. Zechariah is standing there, and the devil's accusing him. He's he's dressed in these, these filthy garments, and that shows all his sins. He's got all these sins that he's committed before God. And the devil's pointing them out. He says, Lord, you see that? Do you see what he does here? And do you see how he sinned against you there? And you see the other things that he's doing against you? And so he accuses before the face of God. It's not the only approach. Here in our chapter, the Lord also warned his disciples against outright persecution. That happened shortly after Christ ascended into heaven. Acts 4 tells the story of the scribes and the Pharisees arresting and threatening the disciples. So first, is this deception, then it becomes an iron fist. In Acts 4, it's intimidation. In Acts 5, he throws them into prison. In Acts 7, there's murder. 
Acts 8, there's persecution. He is this roaring lion who seeks whom he can devour. It's in the letter to the churches that the Lord Jesus Christ tells the churches of Smyrna and Pergamum that they would suffer persecution under satanic attack. That's a, a picture of what's going to happen to the church over time, brothers and sisters. The devil will at times, he will threaten and attack, he will murder and kill the people of God. Or another one of his, his famous ways of attacking us is through deception. There's a 1 Timothy 4, the first verse is there, that the Apostle Paul warns Timothy against people who bring the teachings of demons. They deny people the ability to get married. You're not allowed to marry. And they tell people to abstain from eating certain kinds of foods. And Paul says these are, these are demonic teachings. Everything is to be received with thanksgiving from God who gives good gifts to us because he loves us. It's in Colossians 2 verse 8 that we're warned It says there, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Well, these elemental spirits, these are demons. There are demons who seek to lead you astray. God's saying that a lot of the philosophy of this world is demonic in origin. And if you you just think about that within our own time, brothers and sisters, you know, what's the prevailing worldview? What's the, the dominant thought of our time? It's quite different than 100 years ago. It's quite different from 500 years ago. It's quite different than the time of Jesus Christ. Well, the dominant thought of our time is a profound selfishness. You should be allowed to live a fulfilling life. You should be able to do and to pursue whatever it is that gives you meaning and purpose and pleasure. And if there's anything that gets in your way of pursuing the life you want to live, you need to edit it out. You need to be your own person. It was a profound selfishness. It's a love of money. It's a love of self. It's a love of pleasure. It's a love of comfort. It's a love of ease. You have a right to be happy. You have a right to live a good life. You have a right to do whatever it is that you want to do. Sometimes the devil's deceptions are different. Sometimes they're a doctrine and origin. We have quite a few examples in the scriptures where the the apostle warns people against the, the same elemental spirits and their wrong teachings. I'll just use one example. For example, in Galatians 4 verse 9, Paul is appalled that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel than the one he preached. He says, but now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? These Galatians, they were believing in Christ plus. Christ plus circumcision. Christ plus the Old Testament feast days. If you want to be a real Christian, if you want to do it right, you need to believe in Christ, plus you need to do these other things. And Paul says... That's the teaching of demons. You're following elementary spirits. You're following the evil spirits of the devil. It is not Christ plus. The way you serve God and the way you worship God, the way you have an open relationship with God is through Christ alone. It's by faith in Jesus 
as your Savior. But then, brothers and sisters, it's probably the greatest attack of the devil. It's not through deception. It's not through intimidation. It's not through outright attacking, but it's through temptation. It is in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, that the devil is called the tempter. Just as he tempted Eve in the garden, so he also tempts us. He makes sin to seem super exciting, super delicious, something that will lead you into having the good life that you really want to have. Well, the Lord warns us against temptation. He calls us to resist the devil's temptations. When you think about it, do you realize why life is sometimes so hard, brothers and sisters? You start off your day you're filled with good intentions. You want to live a good and a holy life. You want to do what's, what's right and what's pleasing to God. Well, why do you still so often fall into sin? Why is it that you still end up in so much conflict with family members, with a coworker, with your boss? Why are you dragged back into the same old sins that you've confessed and renounced before? Why does the whole world seem stacked against Christians? Why is it so hard to follow through on what you want to do? You stand there at the end of the day and you stand before your Lord and you realize the pride. You realize that you've gotten angry again and you've blown up the kids. You realize the failures, the way that you've fallen short of the calling of God. Well, it's because we have a sinful nature. It's because we have powerful enemies. The devil and his demons, they're these intelligent creatures. They know us, they know our weakness, and they seek to exploit that to lead us into sin. And so how do you deal with it, brothers and sisters? How do you begin to do battle? The Lord tells us the most important thing is that you need to know Christ. You need to know your Savior. Before our Savior went into heaven, he told his disciples in John 16, verse 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Christ says, I need to go, because when I go, I will send you the Helper. And if you, if you know some other translations of the scriptures, then you, you, you may know that this word is translated differently sometimes. It's one of the old translations. They used to call him the paraclete. And that's a literal translation of the Greek word parakaleo. The Greek word literally means to be called alongside. The paraclete, the helper, is someone who who is called and who stands alongside another person to help them and to protect them, to give them guidance and to assist them. And so if you you think of this word paraclete, it's used in many different contexts. If you think of it being used in a legal context, then the paraclete is your lawyer, your advocate, and he advocates on your behalf. He's someone who, who defends, who intercedes for you, 
He's your, your advocate on your behalf who, who stands up for you. If you think of it being used in a familial context, then it's the, the task of a father who stands alongside of his children, who teaches them and trains them, who instructs them and who disciplines them. A paraclete at core is someone who, who comforts, who encourages, who counsels another. This is what Christ says he's going to do for you with his Holy Spirit. He's going to send his Spirit into your life, and the Spirit is going to encourage you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to instruct you. He is like a mother with her children. A mother stands alongside of her children, and he nur- she nurtures her children. She comforts them when they're hurt. She instructs them. She assists them in their lives. Each of you, brothers and sisters, you're called to be paracletes. You're called to be helpers to the people around you. You have a young mom who's struggling in her task, and the older women, they're called to, to stand alongside of the young moms and to assist them to love their husbands and to train their children to look after their families. This is the work of a brother in the church who, another, who encourages another brother who's struggling, struggling with sin or struggling to, to make good decisions, someone who's grieving loss or someone who's, who's struggling because of broken relationships. This is the work of an office bearer who stands alongside of, of those in the church who are struggling in their faith and who need assistance to live in faith before their Lord and Savior. Well, the gift of God is that God says he himself will be your paraclete. Christ says he will stand alongside of you. He will comfort you. He will encourage you. He will admonish you. He will strengthen you. The reason why Christ had to go away is because he says, I want to be with you in a much more intimate way. I don't only want to stand here and preach to you, but I want to live in your heart. I want to comfort you. I want to encourage you, and I want to build you up in your faith in me. And so he said, it is to your advantage that I'm going away. For if I do not go, then I can't send the paraclete. I can't send the helper who comes to you and who guides you into all truth. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so the first way Christ says that the paraclete helps you is that he guides you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the helper who teaches you the truth. The devil is a deceiver, brothers and sisters. He deceives you. He seeks to enslave you by telling you lies. And it is in your nature, it's in my nature to believe those lies. We want to believe the lie because that's that's the way we're primed. That's the way we're tuned because of our sinful natures. But the Lord Jesus Christ sends us his, his spirit into us to teach us the truth. He wants us to know who Christ is. Christ wants us to live with him. It's really interesting. If you, if you read through the scriptures, there's this phrase that comes back 200 times in the Bible. 
It's the phrase that if you believe in Christ, then you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are a very different person from someone who's not. There's this contrast that gets drawn up over and over. If you're in Christ, then you're not in sin. Then you're not in Adam. Then you're not in the flesh. Then you are not in darkness. If you are in Christ, then you're made into a new person. It's in Colossians 2 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Christ rescues you from the dominion of darkness. He saves you out of the darkness and he brings you into the kingdom of the light so that you may know him. You may know who God is. You may know what God has done for you and you may live out of the righteousness of Christ. It's back in Colossians 1 verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, Christ tells us when he first came into this world, he says one of the foundational purposes of his ministry is to defeat the devil. And he did that. The very first thing that happened in his ministry, after he was called to ministry, he's baptized, and then he starts his public ministry, and the very first thing that happens is this conflict with the devil. Christ come, the devil comes to him, and he immediately tries to tempt Christ to sin. Turn this stone into bread. And jump off the temple, and God will send his angels and show that you're someone special. And bow down to me, and then I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And all three times, Christ resisted him with the scriptures. Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8. He quoted these passages from the Bible, and, and if, you, if you read those chapters of Deuteronomy, it's Deuteronomy chapter 5 to 11. Chapter 4 to 11, it's in those chapters that the core thing that the Lord is teaching us is he's teaching us that we can love God. We are to love God with our whole heart, soul, and mind. And we express that love by living in obedience to God's commandments. Well, Christ showed the devil. He says, I'm not falling for your temptations because I do love God. And because I'm going to obey my Father who sent me. And I'm not going to do it in my own strength. And I'm not going to do it for my own glory. But then it's really interesting, if you look at the way the temptation gets set up, it's not just by the word that Christ strengthens himself, it's through the word and the spirit. It's back in Matthew 3, verse 16, that we read of the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And when Christ is baptized, back in Matthew 3, then we're told that the Holy Spirit comes down out of heaven like a dove, and he alights upon the Lord Jesus. And it's after he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit that in first verse of Matthew 4, we're told that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the parallel passage in Luke 4, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so the Spirit led him there in order to, to lead him to have this conflict with the devil where the devil would tempt him. And the Spirit filled the Lord Jesus. He was full of the Holy Spirit as he engaged in warfare against the devil. And so the Spirit also assisted Christ to resist the devil's temptation and to stand firm through to the end. And it's really striking, the next, the next chapter, the next thing that happens in the ministry of Christ is that he goes to Capernaum 
And he, he's in the, the synagogue on the Sunday. He opens up the scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he reads Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to rescue, to proclaim liberty, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The very next thing that happens a few verses later, Christ shows what he means when he casts out a demon from one of the people. The crowds are amazed. With authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Jesus Christ has been invested with the Spirit of God to despoil the kingdom of the devil and to establish his kingdom here in this earth. You know, it is true that the devil has authority and that he's powerful, that he's able to, to tempt us and to deceive us and to lead us into sin and to have us persecuted. But it is also true that Christ is more powerful, that Christ defeated the devil. It's in verse 15 of our text, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he would take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has has been given to Christ. And what does the Father have? John 10 verse 29, it refers to all the people whom God has chosen. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Christ is saying, my Father has given me all the people whom he has chosen, and everyone whom God has given to me, no one's able to snatch them out of my hand. All that the Father has is mine. You find the same thought in John 17 verse 10. But then you also read that another thing that the Father has, which was given to Christ, is the gift of authority. John 17, verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. God the Father has given all authority to his Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that also from the really well-known text, Matthew 28, 19, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so what Scriptures is saying to us is that when Christ tells us here, all that the Father has is mine, he's saying all the authority, all the power, all the might that the Father has is mine. All the people whom God has chosen are given to me, and I will use that authority to ensure that those people are brought into the kingdom. And so we can say, 1 John 3, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, the gift of Pentecost is the gift that your powerful Lord, Jesus Christ, who's seated on the throne, he wants to come alongside of you. And he wants to exercise 
His authority, His power, His might in your life. There are times when you're tempted, brothers and sisters. The devil's pretty good at tempting us. Sometimes you settle into patterns of relating with those people who you're close to. Sometimes they're not healthy patterns, pride or selfishness. Sometimes strong desires that lead you into conflict with the people who are around you. Sometimes we see what other people have. We get covetous of others. We have the, the Ur disease. Someone else is stronger or faster or smarter or better or richer or cuter or more beautiful, beautifuler. We want that. We see what they have, and we want it for ourselves. We have these strong, covetous desires that grow up within us. Sometimes we get sucked into these worlds that we can't seem to get out of. You end up spending more and more time. You just choose away at your time when you're on Facebook or Instagram or your social media. Sometimes you get into gaming or pornography. Sometimes you get into drinking. There are these powerful temptations. They have authority over you. Sometimes you get irritable. You get angry. That anger can have power over you. It has authority in your life. You can't just walk away from it. And the result is that we're guilty before God. And that guilt can be debilitating. You feel guilty. You don't feel that you can come near. You don't feel that you're worthy. And so you estrange yourself. You draw back. You isolate yourself. And the more isolated you become, the more vulnerable you become. And it's in that context that the Lord comes to you with the message of the gospel. Christ has come to rescue you from the tempter's power. Christ has come to save you from your guilt. He calls you to humble yourself before God. To be honest, just come to me and come clean. You can always come to me. You've never committed too many sins to come back. You never have to be too ashamed of the things that you've done to come to my throne of grace. Just open your heart and humble yourself and tell me what you've done and it will all be forgiven. One of the Puritans used the image of a cat. We need to be like cats. A cat is always grooming himself. They sit there and they lick, and they lick, and they lick, and they lick. If you have a cat, you know what cats are like. They're always making themselves clean. That's exactly what we have to do. We have to lick ourselves clean, always grooming ourselves. That's to be a constant process that we wipe it away. And we do so by beating a, a path to the cross. Day after day and week after week and hour after hour, we go to the cross and we lay our sins before the cross. And it says you lay your sins there, that they're washed away, and that there is no guilt, and that all the shame is taken away. When Christ came on the cross, he took your shame. He bore your shame. He was hanging naked on the cross to bear the shame of all the sins of all his people. And everybody passed by, and they mocked him, and they made fun of him, and they treated him like dirt, because that's what we deserve. And so he does it for you, brothers and sisters. 
Colossians 2, verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All your sins have been canceled. They've been nailed to the cross. Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities. The truth is, brothers and sisters, that the devil has nothing on you. Literally nothing. There's nothing he can pin against you. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, and if you, if you look to Christ as your Savior, that it's all been covered. It's all been taken away through him. In Revelation 12, the accuser of our brothers is cast out of heaven because there is no more basis for accusation. He's got nothing to accuse you of because Christ has wiped it all clean. And so he's been cast out of heaven. Now he's on earth and he's trying to make war against the saints. It is, as Paul says in Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What it means is that we need to believe in Christ. The only way to access all the riches that God gives us is through faith in the living Christ. You need to go to him, brothers and sisters. You need to trust that he is your savior. And since you can't do that of your own strength, God gives you his spirit. Christ says, it is to your advantage that I'm going away. I'm going into heaven so that I can pour down my spirit on you so that the spirit can be the comforter, that he can encourage you, that he can help you. You know, the truth, brothers and sisters, is that we're all broken people. We all have a history. We've all committed sins. We all have many more sins that have been committed against us. What we need to, to understand is that none of that defines us. That doesn't define you. The pain that you experienced, the sins that you've committed, the things that you've accomplished, the money that you've made, the businesses that you've founded, the family that you have, those no things don't define you. What defines you in the first place is your relationship with Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ in life and death and body and soul. That's what defines me. That's the core of my identity. That is the core of our identity as the people of God. And since that's the core of your identity, then in the end, the Spirit cares for you and he brings you into glory. The great gift of Christ's Spirit is that he guides us into all truth. He takes what is Christ and he declares it to us. And so the calling for us, brothers and sisters, is to pray that we may know who we are in Christ and that we seek to grow in that, that knowledge, that understanding. That's a lifelong journey. So as, you, as you live your life, there are so many different facets and so many different areas of life in which you need to understand what that really means and what that really, how that really works out. 
and how that impacts your life. And so the Apostle Paul, when he prays for the churches, that's one of the first things that he prays for. It's really beautiful. One of the, the most explicit prayers that he offers is in Ephesians 1. He prays that God would give spiritual wisdom and understanding to know Christ, to know the power of Christ, to know the willingness of Christ to use that power on our behalf. Or it's in, Colossians, or in Ephesians 3, he prays that we may be filled with the Spirit so that we may know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. It's if you know who you are in Christ, if you know all that Christ has done for you, if you know how much he loves you, then you'll be secure, then you'll be safe, then you'll find peace, then you will be at rest. God tells us that he's willing to do more for us than all that we can ask or imagine. Last verse of Ephesians 3, he'll do more for you than all that you can ask or imagine. Well, know who you are in Christ Know who Christ is, and then pray with God that Christ would live in your heart, that he would give you the Holy Spirit to walk alongside of life with you, that you understand who Christ is, that you rely upon him, and that you receive his grace and glory. You understand what a gift you've been given in Pentecost, brothers and sisters? The Lord loves you, and he wants to bring you into glory. And he has the power to do that. And it's his joy to make it happen. Sin and the devil, they don't have the final say in your life. They lost because Christ defeated them. It's by means of the powerful working of the Spirit of Christ that he guides us into all truth so that we understand the love of God and that we also love him with all our hearts. Amen.